Well, good morning. I want to welcome you again to our time of worship, and I want to thank all of those who are watching online. Thank you for joining us and worshiping with us today. We're so glad that you have chosen to be a part of our congregation. I want you to know that if you are online or even if you're here presently, I want you to know that if you're a guest, we want to especially want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. Immediately following this service, I would like for you, if you would please, and if you need some help, I know one of our members would be more than happy to help you to go to our guest services. We've got a gift for you. It's just our way of saying we're so glad that you've come to worship with us today. And you know what? We want you to consider making Central Community your permanent church home. So before I get started, I want to share with you an outreach event that we have going on here. It's one of the ways that we're reaching out to the next generation, and specifically to these young girls. Tomorrow night on the 13th at six to, from 6 to 6.30, there's a mingling time, and then the actual program begins at 6.30, but it's called Girl, You Are Enough. Not Boy, You Are Enough. Girl, You Are Enough, Okay. And so I want you to know that this is a time when you can come and you can gather with a group of other women and have your soul fed in a way like it's never been fed before. This is for those of you who are in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. Now, if you're older than that, I want you to know you're not left out, okay? If you know of a young lady that is looking or is maybe experiencing some difficult times or doesn't know Jesus but wants to find out more about the church, this is a great way to do it. And if you bring her, you get to stay. How's that? <laughs> I want to encourage you to do that because this is a ministry that has been going on for a little while now and it is growing and it is so exciting because there are a lot of girls that come here who don't know who Jesus is but they're learning very quickly. So I want to begin today by going back to something that we did last week. Do you remember what it was? We ended our service with a time of confession. Do you remember that? It was our simple way of acknowledging to God that we had allowed some altars in our homes to erode and because we have neglected those altars, they've kind of fallen down. The result of that, that there's this cloud that hangs over us. And I gave you a challenge, men. I asked you to go and rebuild those altars. How did you do? Did you start rebuilding the altar? I did, and I started it by doing it by just praying with my wife every day. Now, the question that I have for you is, I'm sure some of you are probably ask, asking, and that is this. <laughs> so you think that really worked, Pastor Bob? I mean, really, do you think that that was really a big deal to the Lord? Well, I don't know about you in your life, but in my life, Oh, it was a really big deal. It was a huge deal because I saw God show up in ways that I'm still just mesmerized by. You know, one of the things that we hear a lot in this world that we're living in is we hear things like this. That Christianity thing, that, that's just a crutch. I mean, come on, get real. And then they go into why they think it's a crutch or why you need to get real. 
If your God was such a loving God, how many of you have heard that before? And then they fill in the blank. Why would he let this COVID virus come about? Why would he allow little children to suffer? And they go on and on and on. But the one that probably gets me more than anything is when they say, if your God is such a loving God, why would he send people to hell? And you know what? As soon as they hear that, I realize they don't know the God that I know. Because the God that I know doesn't send anybody to hell. The God that I know is a God of love. Case in point. We're in a series on Elijah. Today's our last Sunday in the, book of Eli- or in the story of Elijah. And you remember that in the story of Elijah, there's a king. His name is Ahab. And the Bible tells us that Ahab was a wicked king. Well, you remember that last week when we talked about the big event that happened at Mount Carmel, you know what? You would think, man, if that doesn't get the king's attention, I don't know what will. And you know what? It did get his attention for a while. He thought about some things that that God had shown him, but it never went to his heart. And what happened was is that he continued down that horrible path. Case in point, his wife Jezebel tried to kill Elijah after the Mount Carmel. There was another time, not too long after that, that this huge army, this enemy, came up and rose up against Israel. Oh, I guarantee you, King Ahab was on his knees then. But when God once again showed up and gave him specifics of what he was supposed to do, he disobeyed God again. And then one day, he's sitting in his castle, and he looks out over the land, and he recognizes that there's a vineyard right next door to him that doesn't belong to him and it infuriates him. So you know what happens? His wife Jezebel has this man Naboth murdered. And you know what King Ahab does? He steals the garden. Let me tell you what the Bible says about King Ahab. Look at this. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. Now, what I want you to know is that King Ahab was the worst of the worst. And you know all the things that he did that irritated and angered God. But our God is a loving God, and I'm going to prove it to you. You see, just after this, the Lord God sent a message to King Ahab, and he said, because you have been evil, this is what's going to happen to him. And he gave him a punishment. When Ahab received the punishment, something happened. Let me show you what I mean. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? That's our God, that no matter how bad you may think you are or you may think about the things that you've done in life, our God is attracted to a humble heart. In fact, the Bible tells us a broken and a contrite heart he will not despise. You think our God is not a loving God? I beg to differ, and there's the proof. Amen? Stand with me out of respect for God's word. 
as I read from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 6 through 14. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father. The chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. And he took hold of his garment and he tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, if you give me an opportunity to ask anything that I need to have, I would agree that Elisha got it right. Give me a double portion of your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. In Matthew chapter 25, there's a well-known parable that Jesus told about the ten virgins. This is a story about the end times when Jesus, the bridegroom, will return. The ten virgins are waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom. That's their job. Now Jesus tells the story in a way that five of them have enough oil for the arrival and five of them do not. And so the five who have enough oil, when when the bridegroom arrives, guess what? They're ready. And the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that not only are they welcome, do they welcome the bridegroom, but the bridegroom welcomes them and invites them into the banquet, into their joy that has been created for them. But the five who were gone trying to find oil, they missed the coming of the bridegroom. And the Bible says not only did they miss it, but the bridegroom disowned them. Then Jesus tells us, So what's the message of the story of the ten virgins? And here's what he tells us. Always make sure that the oil in your lamp is full. 
Don't wait to the last minute where you have to go out and get more oil. Make sure your oil jar is filled. In other words, Jesus says, my dear friends in Christ, be ready. Be ready. In our story that we're going to look at today that takes place in 2 Kings, I want to go back and just kind of bring you up to speed because there's a few things that have happened since we met last. The first thing that you need to know is this. King Ahab is dead. And now his son, Ahaziah, is now in his leadership role. You know the saying where it says, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? It was true even back then. Look what the Bible says about this. He served and worshiped Baal, and he aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as his father had done. Can I tell you something, gentlemen? Your kids don't remember what you said. They do remember what you do. So what are your children seeing in you? What are your grandchildren seeing in you? Well, there's something else that has taken place. A succession plan has, is in place. And Elijah is now replaced by another prophet by the name of Elisha. Here's what the Bible says about this. Also, and he's telling Elijah to do this, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahalah, to succeed you as prophet. So now we kind of understand what happens. King Ahaziah is now in, in, in power, and Elisha is now the succession plan. Now we pick up our story. This is a good one. Watch this. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. All right, now, we're not sure exactly why Elijah told Elisha to stay put. But what we do recognize and realize in this is the miraculous that's about to happen. And the miraculous that is about to happen is that God has told Elijah that he is about to be taken to heaven to his eternal joy by a chariot of fire, by a whirlwind. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I used to pray that God would just take me in my sleep. Ah, uh -uh. I want to go to heaven in style on a chariot of fire. Don't you? Now, here's something else I want you to recognize about this. Up until this point, there's only one other person in the Bible, only one other person in the Bible who has not tasted death. Remember who that is? Enoch. At 365 years old, the Bible tells us that he was walking with God. And as a little girl said in Sunday school, they walked so far they were closer to heaven than back to his home, so he just walked with God all the way to heaven. But what I want you to understand is this, and this is so important. Elijah knows that the Lord is about to come for him. But did you notice what Elijah does? Even though he knows that the Lord is coming for him, he still continues in his obedience to God. 
by being obedient, and he goes to Bethel as God has directed him. All right, now, so now we have this, this guy by the name of Elisha, and he wants to go wherever Elijah goes. I wonder why. You know why I think he wanted to go where, he, where Elijah was? I think he wanted a blessing. It's amazing to me when people come to the end of their life and we know it's just a matter of minutes or maybe a matter of hours. What do the doctors and nurses do? They call us and they tell us what? Gather the family together. The time is close. And what do we do? We want to be there. Why? Because we want to hear those last words. We want to be there in the room when the, when the, when the chariot of Jesus Christ comes and takes the hand that we're holding from this life into the next life. We want to be there, right? That's a blessing. That's a special time for the believer, right? And so here we have Elijah. He knows his time is coming, but he continues to do the work that God has given him. Now, the Bible tells us that he went to Bethel, he went to Jericho, and he went to to the Jordan, right? Now, the question that I have is, so what's going on here? What's happening here? Here's what's happening. In those days, the prophets had built schools in different places. One of them was at Bethel and another one was at Jericho. And these schools were put in place so that young men could learn how to teach the word of God. What Elijah is doing is he is going to these places and he is visiting them, okay? But while he's there, something very interesting happens. While he's there in every one of these places, a group of young men begin to prophesy. And I want you to understand when you think, well, what does the word prophesy mean? It just means you're telling somebody else what God has told you, okay? That's just a real simple way of putting it. So everywhere they go, a group of young men come and prophesy, and this is what they say. Hey, Elisha, you know your master's gonna be taken from you today, right? You know this is the day And you know what? Every time they say that to Elisha, Elisha responds the same way. And here's what he says. Yes, I know, but I don't want to talk about it. Oh, does that hit home or not? I know this is the day. You don't have to remind me. But I don't want to talk about it. But there's also something else that happens that's very interesting. Wherever Elisha goes, Elijah says to Elisha, I want you to stay here. So when Elijah goes to when Elijah goes to Bethel, he tells Elijah, goes, hey, stay here. But you know what happens? Every time he does that, Elisha responds with the same words. And what does Elisha say? He says, Elijah, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as surely as you live, I'm not leaving your side. I just want to ask you for a question real quick. Does that sound like anybody else you know in the Old Testament? I'll give you a name. Her name is Ruth. Do you remember the story? Ruth was a Moabitess, 
and Naomi had come to live with her because she lost her husband and ended up losing both of her sons. And Ruth saw the Lord God in Naomi like she's never seen in anyone else before. And so when Naomi goes back home, remember those words that Ruth says? We say them at weddings a lot. Entreat me not to leave you. Where you go, I'm going. Your people will be my people. Where you live, I'm going to live. Your God will be my God, and where you die, I'm going to die. That's a lot of words of just saying, you ain't getting rid of me. Now, I think there's something that we can learn from this lesson, and here's what it is for all of us here. What God has given you to do, my dear friends in Christ, complete the task. People don't know how you started, but everybody knows how you finish. And Elijah wants to finish strong, and I know you do too. I know there are men in here that I've gathered with, and you've said, you've told me, I want to finish strong. I visited a couple people who were in a, in a nursing home this past week, and every one of them, they look at me and they say, Pastor Bob, I just don't understand why I'm here. Why doesn't God come and get me? And you know what my answer to them is? Because God's not done with you yet. What can I do? That's what they say. And you know what comes to my mind? The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You want to know what you can do? This is what I told them. Pray for me. And they both said, well, the Lord knows you need it. <laughs> but prayer is powerful. I want people praying for me. I need people praying for me. I feel that strength. And all God is saying to us, finish the task that I've given you to do. All right, let's go on. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. All right, so here we are again, and where are we? We're at the Jordan River. This is a really important place to be because remember I shared with you last time in that story about Mount Carmel that everything points to Jesus Christ in the New Testament, right? The Jordan River was a place of a benchmark for anybody who was a follower of Jehovah. This was the place where the people of God crossed over and they crossed over on dry ground into the promised land, right? Here's something that you may not understand or know, but you need to understand today. Everybody, whether you were a believer in Jehovah or not, knew that the Jordan represented death. The Jordan River at that time represented death. Elijah now represents a kind of type of Christ. Elisha, who is following him and not leaving him side, is a, represents all of those who call on the name of the Lord. These are the followers of Jehovah. And what the picture here is of symbolism that God wants us to understand is this. It is only through Jesus that you can cross over the death of the Jordan on dry land and come into the promised land. Here we are, 
many, many years before Jesus even walks on the earth. And once again, we see that God Almighty is pointing us to the Savior who is coming. All right, let's go on. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Now, can I just say to you, wouldn't you love it for whoever it is at the, at the deathbed that you're standing, and they say, tell me what you want me to do for you, and I'll do it for you pretty much anything. Do you know what you would ask for? Now, let me ask you this. What if it was the servant of the Most High God? And the Most High God has said, I'm going to bestow a blessing on this individual through you. So the Spirit put on his heart to ask him, what is it that you want? Tell me what it is. And Elisha's no dummy. Because Elisha knows he is going to pick up the mantle and be the next Elijah. And so Elisha says this, I need twice as much of what you have I need twice as much of your spirit. That's what he asked for. Now, I want to pause for a moment, and this is a great teaching moment because I want to ask you, so what do you think Elisha meant when he said, I need a double portion? Is that, do you recognize that phrase, double portion? Here's what it means. You remember in those days, that the eldest son always got a double portion of the family's inheritance, right? Please shake your head like this. You know this, right? Okay. All right. You understand that it wasn't just about what he got, but the significance in what it was was what it represented. What it represented was this. Leadership in the presence and the absence of the father. So what Elisha is asking for, I need the double portion. I don't just need the double portion because of what it gives me, but if I'm going to be the one who replaces Elijah, I need everyone to be able to see I'm the one. You see, Elijah, everybody from this point on is going to compare me to you, and there's no way that I can do what you can do. And just because I have the things that I have right now, Israel will not recognize me as their leader. I need what you have, and I need twice as much. Oh, may that be said of all of us. Now, I want to just say something else to you about this, about prayers, big prayers. You want to know how you get a big prayer answered? When what you're asking for is about bringing glory to God. It has nothing to do with what's going to happen to me. It's about bringing glory to God. And when you pray, and you pray in that way, watch out, because something big is about to happen. And Elisha is simply asking this of Elijah. I just need you to give me a double portion so there's no doubt watch. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. 
So Elijah's pretty straightforward with him, isn't he? And he just says, listen, Elijah, what you've asked for me to do, I can't do on my own. But then he tells him, but if you're there and you see what happens when God comes to take me, it's a done deal. I want to close with this. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire, of horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha got his request, didn't he? Elisha's prayer was answered. And now there's only one thing that remained. You know what it was? The cloak. The Bible tells us, my dear fellow believer, that as Elijah went to heaven in a whirlwind on a chariot of fire, he left behind the cloak. I need you to understand what that means. You see, Elisha had a choice. He had prayed and he had asked God for a double portion and God had answered his prayer, but there's still something Elisha had to do. What do you have to do? People will say, he had to pick up the cloak. You see, the cloak represented the calling of God on Elijah's life. But I want to tell you that God never expected Elisha to pick up the cloak. You know why? Because if all he would have done was picked up the cloak, all it would have meant is that he has accepted the position that he was given. That's it. You have a calling in your life. For some of you, it may be a father. For some of you, it may be a mother, maybe a grandfather, or maybe a grandmother. Maybe it's your occupation. Maybe it's your, the fact that you're a student. But all of us have a, a calling in life. And this calling is what God has given to you not to pick up. But Elisha had to put it on. I'll get it here. No, I got it, Justin, don't worry. <laughs> Elisha had to put it on. Now, here's why. If he just picked it up, he would have accepted it. But by putting it on, it means he surrendered to it. That's what God is calling you and I to do. There are too many Christians right now in our lives who pick up and accept the fact that they're a Christian. And you know what that means? They do all the right things. They go to church. They may carry their Bible around. They may even go to a Sunday school class. But all they do is they carry around their Christianity. And God has never told us 
that we need to carry around our Christianity. What he has told us is this, we must put it on. And as we put it on, we surrender our lives to Christ. Did you hear me what I said? You surrender your life to Christ, not to the government, not to a mask, not to diseases, but to Christ. Two weeks from today, I'm going to preach a message. Maybe the last message I ever preach in this church, but I'm going to preach it because God has told me to preach it, and it's called A House Divided. And we're going to talk about what it means to once again become the church. Not living on man's principles, but surrendering, surrendering to kingdom principles. Because this is not my home. My home is in the kingdom of God. That's who I represent. And him only. And that's what it means to put on the cloak to surrender your life and everything you have to the Lord Jesus. And then do you realize what happened when Elisha did that? He did twice as much as what Elijah did, almost exactly because he surrendered to Jesus Christ. My dear friends in Christ, right now, there are people in hospital beds. There are people who are hurting. There are people who are going through relationship problems. Our world is hurting, and they're looking, and they don't even know they're looking. This is our opportunity, our opportunity to step up to the plate. But what we have to do is this. We have to put on the cloak of Jesus Christ, and then you watch and see what he's about to do. Let's pray.